This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm super excited to be entering a new year um, doing Apostolic Theory, going on our third year, our third season, uh, to, to, to really lead into what I feel the direction um, for maybe even the first few episodes of, of this year. Um, just I really feel like this is necessary, important. Um, so we've got a very special guest with us, my friend, Brother Nathan Davis. I'm very excited, like I said. Um, but before we, we get too much into uh, the, the content of today's episode, uh, Brother Davis, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell the listeners a bit about you, and uh, and we'll roll from there. We'll see what the Lord will All do. All right. Well, uh, as stated, my name is Nathan Davis. I live here in Little Rock, Arkansas. I, I have uh, a 13-year-old son, Landon and a nine-year-old daughter, Ella. And I'm also married to my beautiful wife, Liz. We just got married this last year. And uh, God has blessed us abundantly. And and I am looking forward to to what God has in store for this year. Amen. Praise God. So in sort of the back and forth of preparing for this, um, this session, uh, and the direction we felt together um, that that God wanted us to go in, um, it really what it what it really ended up boiling down to was how God can take uh, the broken and how God seeks out the broken and brings us back into uh, back into the church because that's His desire. His desire is for us to be reconciled back to him um so uh brother davis is going to share with us his testimony uh, a little bit about his story and he can he can go back as far as he pleases but we're just going to obey the leading of the holy ghost and let god have his way so bro you've got the floor all right well brother brandon i just want to say thank you very much for having me on here man uh it is a privilege and an honor uh, a fellow Mena, <laughs> but um, uh, I need to get back to Maine. I, I haven't been to Maine since uh, I guess '09, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to bringing my wife and my family to Maine, hopefully soon. But, um, but man, yeah, you asked me to, to share my story. I guess it was about a month ago. Uh, that you shot me a text and asked me to share my story and my testimony on on your podcast and and now we're branching into uh, video now so that's awesome and uh, yeah I just pray that that somebody will listen to this and and their lives will be touched and you know, my story is is a story of God's mercy God's grace and you know I I lived a life of rebellion uh, you know I. I, I struggled to wholeheartedly uh, surrender to God, and, and it cost me. It cost me a lot. And, you know, thinking back over the last couple of weeks over my life, my testimony, preparing for this, you know, one thing kept coming to my mind, you know, there's a cost to sin. There's a cost to living in sin. There's a cost to, 
uh, living in rebellion. There's a cost to not having a spiritual authority in your life and heeding to that spiritual authority. And, and it costs us greatly, you know, and I guess, I guess really the cost of all that is it leaves you hopeless. It leaves you abandoned. It leaves you feeling like you're just empty. It, it, uh, it, it's a sad way to live. Before I begin my story, I, I want to share just a snippet of something that, that happened in my life just a couple of years ago, a few years ago, that um, really shook me to my core. And when I realized that, hey, the life I'm living, this is, this is the result of it. But um, I was driving home from work on a Saturday of working uh, uh, the, the, the early morning shift. So I got off at one o'clock and, and um, my wife at the time had, uh, had just left my house and she was um, gathering her things and my kids' things. And, and um, uh, she was packing up the things and, and taking them. So I'm driving home thinking about that, not knowing what I'm fixing to walk into. And so it was a tough ride home. I, I get home and walk up the steps of my deck and open the door and and man you know I, I go inside and, and I realize you know there's there's decorations off the wall there's 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 pictures off the wall there's furniture taken you know it's just it was very very empty I remember walking into uh, the hallway that leads to my kids room and, and walking into my son's room and seeing that uh you know, his bed was gone, toys that had been on the floor, you know, they were picked up and gone. Um, it was just, it was an empty space. The only thing that was hanging on the wall was this canvas right here. And my son um, had, had, had made this, this is his feet that were that were painted on on this canvas and his hands and the poem says walk with me daddy walk alongside me daddy and hold my little hand i have so many things to learn that i don't yet understand teach me things that keep me safe from dangers every day show me how to do my best at home at school at play Every child needs a gentle hand to guide them as they grow. So walk alongside me, Daddy. We have a long way to go. Now, I remember seeing that canvas and, and you know, just this, this sinking feeling in my gut just came over me. And, and, and I, I backed my, wall, my back to the wall and, and sunk down to the floor. And my, my hands hit my, my head hit my hands and, and I just started sobbing crying and knowing that that my son wasn't there for me to hold his hand my, my son wasn't there to I didn't know when the next time I'd, I would be able to see him and tuck him in at night and, and play ball with him and it was just very very hum you know just uh, the reality hit me that that 
the cost of my living selfishly and and my living rebellion it just it uh I lost it all and that that uh that is the cost of sin it will leave you empty leave you hopeless leave you abandoned and there's a better life it really is my story begins in Maine and I uh I was born uh, in May 2nd, 1987. Uh, my, my mother was a, a type 1 diabetic. She wasn't supposed to have kids. And um, uh, I was premature. I had a hole in my heart. My lungs were not developed quite right. And, um, and really, I... I I almost died. I was in the hospital for 28 days and God brought me out of that. And I went home two weeks after they brought me home. Uh, I died in the middle of the night and, um, turned blue and, and gray and I'll quit breathing. My father ran downstairs to the kitchen and grabbed a pitcher of, of juice that was frozen and, uh, placed on my back and uh, jolted me back and, and uh, my mom was on the phone with a nurse, and she said, "You know that worked, so just keep on doing that till you get to the hospital, and and, and we'll we'll take it from there." And uh, people started praying, and and uh, God brought me again. He brought me out of that and, and touched my life. On my two-year checkup, it was my last checkup. Uh, they took me back and they took X-rays of my heart, my lungs, my chest. And the doctor called my parents back and said, look at these x-rays. And they said, there is no sign of any uh, hole. There's, there's no sign of any scar tissue. Uh, your son's lungs are fully developed. I mean, I was totally healed. And, and the doctor, she said, uh, and I quote, this is a miracle. And so God, you know, even back then, was, was, was touching my life and, and and uh, showing mercy on me, and, and uh, just phenomenal how God did that. I was baptized in Jesus' name uh, when I was six years old uh, by my grandfather, and then I received the gift of the Holy Ghost when I was eight, and um, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost during a uh, family prayer meeting. My father was very big on on cultivating a, an atmosphere of worship in our home, and, and he was big on praying before we went to bed. And, and so this was a, a time when we were fixing to go to bed, and we were saying our, our, our prayers before. And, and I mean, I remember feeling something come over me during that prayer meeting, and and uh, and. I, I got up and tapped my mom on the shoulder and said, Mom, I, I feel something. You know, I, I feel something going on. And my mom said, Nathan, that is the Holy Ghost. And she said, we're going to pray again. So my dad came over and we all started praying and the Holy Ghost just dropped in our house. And, I, and God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And they said that I spoke in tongues for 45 minutes. And... Uh, in between speaking in tongues, I would, the only English that I would speak was 
I'm going to whisper, God, devil, you're not going to stop me. And then I'd go back to speaking in tongues. And then I'd say, I'm going to whisper, God, devil, you're not going to stop me. And that was just a, a powerful moment. That was a, that was a time when, when I knew for a fact that I got the Holy Ghost. So powerful. And so God just started working in my life, and, and, and I began to cultivate a good relationship with God. And um, uh, in 96, my father felt impressed to, to move our family from the church that we were at and move us to uh, a church in Brewer, Maine. And it was pastored by Brother David Smith. And man... Uh, that move that my father made for our family was 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 amazing. Uh, God really worked in my life, and and the services that I was a part of were just phenomenal. Uh, I remember I remember some services where the preacher wouldn't even preach; would just choir get up and sing, and, and the Holy Ghost would just fall, and and just powerful, powerful moments in the Holy Ghost. And then I was experiencing that and being a part of that. I was in the Christian school there. So God just really started dealing with me and, and working in my life. And, and um, uh, I remember um, one particular time uh, we were, we were, our choir was, was asked to come to Canada and sing. And in this moment in my life uh, was was a moment where God really showed me that that he was wanting to use me. And, and, and it was just a powerful, powerful moment in my life. But, but uh, we went to Canada to, to sing. The choir did. My mom was in the choir. So our whole family went. And... Um, so we got to Canada and, and went to the church, and, and there was a baptism during the service. And and all the kids were able to go up on the platform and watch the uh, watch the baptism take place. Well, as I was coming down, and Brother T.F. Cheney was there to preach that night. And as I, as I was coming down, I walked in front of Brother T.F. Cheney. And he grabbed my arm, and he said, is your name Nathan? And I, I've never met Brother T.F. Cheney before in my life. And, uh, and I said, yes, yes, my name's Nathan. He said, son, he said, God spoke to me and told me to tell you that you were going to be a prophet of God and mightily use of him, and many souls were going to come to know God through your ministry. And I remember just receiving that word and lifting my hands and speaking in tongues and just, and it was a powerful, powerful, powerful moment uh, that I had. And God began to call me. And, and um, uh, I don't remember the exact timeline, but shortly after, uh, we were in another service in Brewer. And there was a man that uh, was there. Uh, he was an evangelist, but he was kind of based out of our church there in Brewer. And uh, this was a service where the power of God just fell. There was no preaching. 
And that man was down front in a pew, just kneeling down. And God spoke to me and told me to go tell him something. And it was concerning finances. And I'm, I'm just a eight or nine year old kid. I mean, I just, I was very nervous about this. I, I kept going back and forth to God, like, oh God, I can't do this, you know? And, um, so finally, eventually, I, I went over there and I knelt down beside him and, and I told him exactly what God told me to tell him. And, uh, and after that, uh, a couple weeks later, my, my parents came to me and said, Nathan, so and so came to us and told us uh, what you had done. And they said, you know, that God, uh, God worked through that. And that was exactly what that man needed to hear. And God is doing what exactly what you told him God would do. And so that was just, that was the way God was using me and I was forming a relationship with him. So, but, uh, you know, with God in the forefront doing that all of my life, you know, uh, the enemy was, was there and, Something happened that, that um, would later on in my life begin to destroy me. And uh, I was introduced to pornography at a very young age. And I remember the first time that I was introduced to porn it was, uh, was at someone's house. And I remember uh, they had a, a, an upright piano. And I was sitting at the piano and playing it. I got up and lifted the bench looking for a song. And there was no songbook in that bench. It was, it was, uh, pornographic magazines loaded in that, in that bench. And I remember seeing that and like, okay, I'm not supposed to be looking at that. And so I shut the lid and walked on. Then the second time that I was introduced to porn, it was, uh, it was actually on a school field trip to the Bangor Public Library. And uh, they had a computer lab. Well, there was a, a young man who's a little older than I was at the time. And, and uh, he was sitting there at the, at the computer. He had no idea that I walked up behind him. And I walked up behind him and, and I will never forget the image that was on that screen. I'll never forget the words that was on that screen, the colors, they're just imprinted in my brain. And so the enemy really began to just set those traps and and, and later on it, it did cost me. I, I didn't get it under control like I needed to and and uh, it cost me a lot. But, um, you know, uh, when I, when I was younger, you know, my favorite pastime was, was playing church, man. I, I, I loved to play church. Man, I, I'd get up in the morning sometime and get all my stuffed animals out and put them on my bed. And, and I had a little uh, bookshelf that I used for a podium. And, man, it was just uh, powerful moments in, in my own bedroom. I mean, I just, we had full-blown church. I'd preach. I'd, I, we would sing. I'd, I'd have offerings. Uh, altar calls, and some of those altar calls by myself would turn into just full-blown, just power-packed prayer meetings. Sometimes my parents would come in and 
pray with me. And I just love the things of God. I loved, uh, I loved worshiping God. I, it was just, I, I had a, I had a tight bond with God when I was younger. And so that, that's just kind of my childhood and, and how God really started forming my life and my relationship with him. Uh, in 2000, 2000, we had a, an incident that happened in my family. Uh, my parents did foster care for, for a long time. And, uh, my mom worked for the state. She, she worked for, for, uh, child services. My father worked for in group homes there in Maine. But we also had a, a little boy that came to live with us at birth. And, uh, something happened. Uh, he lived with us for six, six or seven years. But something happened and, and, uh, we lost that little boy. He's my brother. It was a uh, very tragic, very tragic event that happened in our family. And then right after that, uh, my uncle, my mom's brother, ended up committing suicide. And so my mom, she, uh, she told my dad and, and, and me that, that we just needed to, to move to Missouri where her, her parents were and, and she needed to be close to them. And <clears throat> so we ended up moving to Missouri. And my dad's job that he had kind of fell through. Well, uh, so after that happened, uh, we had, we knew Brother Holmes and about First Pentecostal Church in Little Rock uh, from a time that, uh, Brother Holmes had come and preached in Maine. And, and we decided to go visit Little Rock and then just test the waters there and, we ended up moving to Little Rock after that, and that was the that was a hard transition for me, uh, for my family. It was almost like a culture shock. Uh, coming from Maine to Little Rock is just a bigger city, a bigger church. Just uh, that was a very tough transition. Um, I, my parents put me in, in the Christian school here, and. Uh, you know, I don't think I ever really healed completely from, from losing my brother. And it was especially during that time, it was just so close to that happening. And, and I struggled to, to make friends. I, it was very tough. Uh, and some of the friends that I did have uh, probably weren't the, the best decision to to hang with and but to be accepted I started doing the things that they did and uh, was introduced to alcohol and, and worldly music and, and partying and uh, it just started going down a road that, uh, that I should have never went down uh, pornography started creeping up more and, and uh, just started fighting a lot of spiritual things and just making decisions that I should have never made. But uh, I graduated high school 
And in 2008, uh, out of the will of God and, and out of the blessing of my, uh, I, I did not have the blessing of my parents or the blessing of my pastor for this. I made the decision to, to marry a lady. And we ended up getting married and, and having two kids, Landon and Ella. And that marriage was, was uh, of course, it was not the will of God. And so you mix that with, with pornography and, and alcohol and, and just all that junk. It's just a mixture that, that's not good. You know, it's just, it's not going to work out. But we, we, we made it work for eight years. And, uh, you know, we did go to church. Uh, I stopped going to FPC in 2008. I moved to Hot Springs and, and, uh, I stopped going to FPC and, and, but we did go to church. But then we started missing a lot, you know, and, and I wasn't the leader of my home that I should be. You know, I, I, I wasn't consecrated to God, I, you know, and <clears throat> it uh, started going downhill. And, and you know, when, when we should have been in church, we were, we were usually on trips, you know, doing, doing road trips and, and just doing things other than church. And uh, when our marriage began to to go downhill, and we started fighting a lot, arguing, and and, and my, my son has probably seen, I know he has, he's seen the worst. But uh, it's sad what what my, what my son has seen. You know, just the other day I was talking to my mom, and and uh, my parents had moved from Little Rock to North Carolina for about six years, and my son would go visit them during the summertime. And my mom said the other day, she said, you know, Landon got in her car one time. I had dropped him off in Cookville with them, Cookville, Tennessee. And uh, she said, out of the blue, Landon just said, Daddy's got a devil in him. And then just, and uh, she said, oh, really? She said, yeah, that devil's from the top of his head to, the, to his big toe. And, uh, and so your kids see everything don't don't be fooled you know it's just and and my son knew that and it's so sad but um so we ended up ended up getting a divorce and uh after the divorce i, I did try my best to get back in the church and i started uh the church that we were attending, I began to become very faithful. I started fasting. I started praying. I called a man from from my church here, First Pentecostal. He was a mentor to me in my early years. He was a good friend of my father. I called him up one day, and, and I started telling him, uh, you know, what was going on. And, and he said, man, he said, just come meet me. So we went to a restaurant, and and met, and, and he told me exactly what to do, and I started doing it. And Brandon, I, I, after about three or four months of, of living kind of straight and narrow, uh, 
something happened. There was another pitfall, and I began to get into a relationship with with a with a lady that I should have never gotten into, and because of privacy reasons, I, I'm not going to disclose any uh, information on that. But but um, but I should have never got involved with that relationship. And I started going downhill again. I started drinking again. I started, uh, this time I started smoking cigarettes. Uh, pornography started creeping up in my life again. Uh, and it just, it went downhill fast. And I remember the last time that I went to church, it was a Sunday night. And I walked into church. No, it was a Sunday morning. I'm sorry, it was a Sunday morning. I walked into church, and I was sitting on the very back pew. And I remember the preacher had gotten up and and preached a sermon that was very convicting. And it was straight to me, straight to me. And uh, altar call was called, and, and I stood up, and and I clenched my fist, my, my hands on the, the back of the pew in front of me. And, and I, I said, God, I just can't do this. I'm living a double life. I, 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 I'm, I'm not ready to give it up. Uh, I just can't do this anymore. And I turned around and walked out. There was a man that was very close to me at that church. And, and he ran out. To me, and as I was fixing to get in my truck, he he called out my name and came and wrapped his arms around me. He said, "Nathan, he said, I know the decision that you just made. He said you're going to be lucky if you ever make it back to the house of God." And I turned and looked at him, and I said, "I know." I got in my truck and drove off, and I began. A three-year stint of not entering the church at all. I still, I still loved God. I still had respect for the house of God. I knew what truth was. I knew where I needed to be, but I, I wasn't ready to let go of things. And um, I guess it was October of. 2017, I got real bad sick. Uh, I thought I had the flu, and I, I worked through it. And uh, I, I finally ended up going to a walk-in clinic. And when I got to the clinic, they, they took me back and they said, man, you're real bad sick. Uh, you really, you need to be at the hospital. I said, well, man, I don't want to go to the hospital. I said, just, just do something. You know, give me something. Well, he gave me a shot. And he said, Nathan, he said, if this shot doesn't work and you're still not better by the night, you need to go to the ER. I said, okay. So I got that shot and went home and, and I laid down that night. And I ended up, I, I couldn't breathe. I was, I was struggling breathing. I, was, I, was, I, I felt like I was thinking I'd die. In reality, I was. I was, I was dying. And uh, I, I remember 
driving myself to the hospital. And that's about all I remember after that. Uh, they had rushed me in. I, I, when I walked in, they just took me straight back. And uh, they ran about seven tests on me to figure out what was wrong. Uh, uh, I was septic. Uh, my kidneys were shutting down. Uh, I had very bad pneumonias. It was what it was. It was Legionnaire's disease. And uh, so they took me back, and, and I ended up being in the hospital for 28 days. Uh, they, they put me in, in an induced coma. And during that time in my coma, uh, I literally, I literally went through hell on earth. Uh, I remember visions that I had that were, were, I felt like I was literally in hell. Flames were shooting up around me. Um, I was, I was in my, in my visions, I was crying out to God to get me out save me or, or take me and, and I just uh, it was a very traumatic traumatic time they actually had to tie my wrist to the bed they tied my my ankles to the bed I was trying to rip out the, the hoses and the, everything that was on me and they said that the only thing that would calm me down they, the lady that I was talking to at the time they actually ended up calling her and she came the only thing that would calm me down is she took my Bible and she would sit by my bed and she would read verses to me. And they said immediately when the verses started being read to me, my whole body started calming down. When I came out of the coma, the very first thing that I asked for was my Bible. And uh, I remember... I would sleep with that every night, and, and uh, I just, you know, God, God literally brought me out of that, and my kidneys were still not functioning at all when I came out of my coma. Uh, when I actually went home, I was still on dialysis. Uh, I, I think I had two treatments a week, I believe that was. But uh, that lasted for about a month and a half. My last treatment that I had, I got very, very sick. I'm sitting in Davida and having this treatment done, and, and I start feeling nauseous. I called the, the nurse over and say, I'm, I'm, I am sick, and I ended up throwing up. And, and they called an ambulance over, <laughs> and they took me to, to the ER, and they rushed me in and, well, come to find out, um, God had literally healed my kidneys. They, they said, Nathan, you can't explain it, but your kidneys are functioning at 100%. So God not only brought me out of the coma and, and, and brought me out of all that pneumonia and junk that I was going through, but God literally healed my kidneys 100%. So I was just so, so powerful. And God gave me another chance. I and mean, it's just, it's a miracle where I'm at today. You know, the chances that I've had and, and I, there's no going back. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful for God's mercy on my life. You know, when I think of David, or when I think of my life, I think about David. And, you know, how David, 
and I sinned against God, and, and God just chased after me. And, and, and Nathan the prophet said, you know, you're the man, you're the man. And David, uh, I believe that the only reason why God restored David is because of his repentant heart. And, and I, for me, I remember, uh, I remember, you know, when I came out of the hospital, you know, you'd think that somebody would just immediately start going back to church and, and, uh, that wasn't the case for me. I, I, my parents had left Little Rock and so didn't really have a whole lot of ties to, to First Pentecostal and, and I, I had been away for about 10 years. Um, I had burned a lot of bridges at a few churches and, and just, uh, wasn't sure what to do, where to go. But I worked in Little Rock and I worked the second shift. And our church is in North Little Rock. So coming home at night, I would drive over the river bridge, the Arkansas River Bridge, and, and I would see the church steeple. And and as I would drive up through there and see that steeple, it was almost like the, God was telling me, you know, come on by, come on by. And so I started actually going to prayer uh, for a while, and then I would go after work, I'd start going to prayer and, and uh, do that at night. And then, um, you know, I, I started getting rid of some things in my life and started praying more at home and, and just kind of getting rid of, of things that, that uh, just weighing me down. And, and But I knew that I still needed to be in church. And so it was Christmas of, of 2018. Uh, I had walked into prayer one night. It, well, it was, it was in December, it was, and they were getting ready for the Christmas production. And I walked into the church for prayer, and I remember there was a bunch of men down front, and our pastor, Pastor Nathan Holmes, was down front with them. One of the buddies I used to run with was there, and he saw me walk in. He told Pastor, said, hey, you know, Nathan's walked in. And Pastor told him, go get him and bring him down here. So he walked back there and talked to me for a little while. And said, well, Pastor, why don't you come on down, down front, man? I said, no, I, I'm just here to pray. So I went home, but on that drive home, I made up my mind that I was going to start going back to to FPC and I started going back and God began to just work in my life you know, I, I remember in January uh, I uh, there was a service that Brother Ballesteros came and preached for us and it was how do you know if you're drunk and if you're familiar with our camp meetings uh, he preaches that sermon, and well, this was just to our church, and it was part three. And I, I say, it's, how do you know if you're drunk? Part three, just for me. Because that is the night that I spoke in tongues for the first time in over three years. 
and God just lifted the weights off of my life and just began to work in my life. Um, you know, God has done some marvelous things ever since I've gotten back in the church. Um, my daughter's filled with the Holy Ghost now. She's been baptized in Jesus' name. Uh, both of my kids are, are coming to our church school. Um, I, I'm, I married the love of my life. My best friend lives, and, and God is just doing amazing, amazing things in my life. And I'm looking forward to this year and, and seeing what God has in store for more for us. But I want to end this out. There's a song that, that uh, often comes to my mind. And I'll be driving to work or driving home. And, and, and this song right here is, Your grace and mercy brought me through. I'm living this moment because of you. I want to thank you and praise you too. Your grace and mercy brought me through. Thank you for saving a sinner like me to tell the world salvation is free. There were times when I just didn't do right, but you watched over me all day and night. Your grace and mercy brought me through. I'm living this moment because of you. I want to thank you and praise you too. Justice demanded that I should die. But grace and mercy said, oh, no, no, no. We've already paid the price. I once was blind, but thank God I can see. It was because your grace and mercy came along and rescued me. Your grace and mercy brought me through. I'm living this moment because of you. I want to thank you and praise you too. Your grace and mercy brought me through. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that God's mercy did bring me through. And I'm living this moment all because of God's grace and mercy. And I'm so thankful, so thankful for that. Amen. Praise God. I, uh, thinking about just the fact that the mercy of God just extends and overflows and penetrates the darkest moments, the, the deepest hearts. The, it, does, it doesn't matter how far you go or how messed up you, you, you feel, the mercy and the grace of God still reaches the the Bible says, or in Jesus said, that he leaves the 99 to look for the one sheep. And so, right. so even when we're, from experience, I, you know, haven't always been perfect. Um, and I think anybody who says that they are, uh, are probably liars, because it's impossible. It's impossible without God and without that relationship and that constant communication and communion with, with God. You know, if, if you let yourself 
even for a moment, be separate from him. You open the doors uh, where the enemy, all he has to do is just get one foothold. And right. it's one of those things where we see time and time again, he, he his tactics haven't changed. Yeah. He's still the same as he was when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. And he's still the same as when he was tempting Adam and Eve in the garden. He doesn't change. His tactics are the same. What we need to do is just learn how to overcome those and, and when those pitfalls uh, come along and, and when those situations happen that he, he likes to get us to trip us up because when we get tripped right. up in our minds we start living in that self condemnation that yep. looking at ourselves and saying oh, I'm, I messed up I'm not worthy I mean and well to be fair none of us are really worthy but God's love goes beyond our worthiness Amen. and his sacrifice goes beyond our worthiness because he loves us for God so loved the world that he gave, and he gives, and he keeps giving. Right. Because he loves us. Amen. But we've got to keep that connection. That And so, you, I mean, you talked about how as you were coming back to God, it, it was a step, baby steps. It was a little by little, and then you started building this prayer life. You started building this commun this constant communication with God. Right. Amen. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that experience um, as you were, you made up your mind, you're, you're going back to church, you're going to serve God. And how, for a listener that, that maybe, um, maybe they know somebody and they're sharing this with a friend and they're trying to come back to God. That prayer life. Talk to me a little bit about how that unfolded for you. You know, I mentioned uh, earlier that I had called a man in, in our church and, and uh, took me out to lunch and, and he told me exactly what to do. And, you know, as I poured out my heart and told him everything that I was going through, all the battles that I was facing, he looked at me and he said, man, he said, he said, I went through a lot of the same things that you went through. And he said, I sat down in, in Pastor Holmes' uh, office, which is bishop now. But I was sitting in, in Pastor Holmes' office and, and he said, well, he said, the only thing that I know to tell you to do is to go is to go dig a well. And he looked at me across the table and he said, Nathan, he said, the only thing I know to tell you to do is just dig a well. And you know, our bishop and, and his his message that he always preaches is, is prayer. And and digging that well is is digging out a prayer life. And, you know, digging a natural well is, is it can be tough. You know, it, it, uh, you're digging out stony ground, you're digging out clay, you're, you know, you're digging through all this junk. 
before you hit that vein and the water starts flowing, you know, and, and the same way with our prayer life, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're digging out all this junk in your life, you know, you're digging out all this pornography, alcoholism, or you're digging out uh, bitterness, you're digging out hatred, you're digging out all the, whatever you're going through that's, that's, you know, against God, you're digging all that out. And, and finally, after that, you're just going to hit a vein. And, and the blessings will start flowing and the anointing will start flowing. And, and, uh, and I took it literal and I left him that day from that restaurant and I went and purchased this little shovel here at Lowe's. And I began to take this shovel and, and I put little prayer requests on here of, of what I wanted God to do in my life and, and man, I, I tell you what, I took this to prayer with me every day. And, and I began to dig my well. And, and that's when the blessings start flowing and the anointing start flowing. And so I challenge you, you know, if you want, if, you know, if you're trying to get back to God or, 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 you know, you struggle with certain things, just dig a well, dig a prayer life, stay at it. You know, when you stop praying, you know, all those other junk's going to just fall back in your hole. Right. And, and you're, and you're going to be back to square one. So it's, it's a constant daily prayer life that you got to keep going and digging. So, you, so, so you're not tripped up by the enemy. Amen. So that's what I challenge you today. Amen. And, uh, after this conversation, I feel they'll see it because I'm going to title it, but. I think what we're going to do, we're going to title this podcast episode, we're going to title it The God of Second Chances and Moments. I like it. Because he is. He's the God of second chances. He's the God of third, fourth, fifth. Because what it comes down to is is not... Because I believe that there are people who struggle who genuinely love God. They just don't know how to get out of the obstacles that seem to be coming against them. Right. I believe that there are so many backsliders out there that love God. Right. They want to come back to the Father's house. Yeah. But what we need to do as the people of God is create uh, a, a culture and an environment that welcomes the backslider that welcomes yeah. the broken, that welcomes the lost. Jesus, they accused him of sitting with publicans and sinners. Right. There's, We've got to get rid of this whole facade of, well, I'm, I'm holy, so because I'm holy, I can't hang out with certain people. I, yeah. You, you, you have different standards than I do, so yep. you, you're not you're not worthy or deserving. We've got to we've got to get that's got to go, that's right. got to go, right. because we need to find the people that genuinely love God, yep. that genuinely want to know what the Word of God is speaking into their lives, because that's what God wants. God wants every single one of us, just like your situation, and, and your testimony, and and where God brought you from and through and to. Right. And, bro, there's so much more in store, and I'm so excited for Amen. you. 
it's 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 critical it's it's yeah. it's mission critical yeah. that this is the message we've got to share it's this stories like yours that's what we've got to share yeah amen the moments that you have now he's the god of them right and when right. you fall and you need to get back up he's the god of the second chance third yeah. fourth fifth sixth Bible says yeah. the righteous man falls seven times, seven but times. gets back up. Right. It's the wicked man that falls into mischief. Right. The key is that we've got to keep getting back up. Right. And we've got to be there to help our brethren get back up. Amen. Grace, man. That's grace. Yeah. Mercy. God is so merciful. He's been so yeah. merciful to me, man. Yeah. You think of all, I, if, if I were to sit here and try and tell you all the times, I haven't told anybody this. You're the first person to hear this, except for <clears throat> the people at work. Yeah. Just today, at work, I was taking out the cardboard, because uh, my receiver, I'm a store manager, my receiver yeah. is on vacation, and so I was doing his job this week, and I was taking out the cardboard. Well... I went out the door to take the cardboard to the dumpster and I happened to look up because I heard a sound. It was a tire that came flying off the interstate right at me. If, if that tire had hit me, I could have been that I could have been toast. Yeah. It was this, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you, it was this close. Golly. And that's the mercy of God. Yeah. But you look yeah. back, you go back in my past and all, but when I was, when I was really struggling, trying to find my way and trying to serve God, and I was, I was raised in a broken home. My, my dad, my, yeah. my mother, they're not together. They've been divorced since I was, well, they got divorced once when I was like six. And then they yeah. got remarried, and then they divorced again. So I, I, I mean, I'm accustomed to that. I understand that. That's that's hard. That's rough. And so, as a Christian young person, living with a mother who is devout, sold out to God, and then going to the house of you know my father who doesn't believe God exists. Yeah. Uh, he's an alcoholic. But you know, here's the thing. God loves him just as much as he loves me and God can still reach him just as he has reached me. And I'm Amen. I'm believing for that. I'm believing for that and I'm praying for that. And I I would be I think it would be incredible if that could happen in the new year. I'll be praying that with you, brother. Pray that with me, man. I will. But that's the thing. That's the thing. And that's what it's always going to come back to is we have to allow and facilitate an environment of the second chance right we don't get to say who deserves the second chance and who doesn't it doesn't matter what they've done no because everybody deserves the second chance everybody deserves an opportunity to come back to the father's house no matter how far they've gone no matter what they've done and that is what it is all about being a Christian being an apostolic Amen. And we've got to get back to it. Yeah, you're right. 
This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you could make money with little to no investment, wouldn't you want to? I'm talking about creating a consistent and passive residual income. I'm talking about making money with little to no investment. So let me just say this. If you would like to know how to make money and invest your money and make a passive residual income, reach out to me at bm underscore C-R-O-O-K-E-R at Outlook.com. That's B-M underscore Crooker at Outlook.com. Let's make money together.